everyone. Welcome to another episode of Bad End Podcast. This is episode 66. I am Katie McCarthy of usgamer.net. I am joined, as always, by Kyle Cookstell, a game developer, and Joshua Calixto, a games a person who writes about games. I don't know how to classify you. Uh, yeah, say hello, that's guys. about right. Yeah. Hello, guys. What's up, guys? I'm, I'm Josh Calixto uh, of Kotaku slash other sites recently billboard oh wow oh yeah you wrote that big k-pop list yeah for the decade you helped write the big k-pop list yeah i uh i'm kyle last case i'm a game developer and by the time this podcast goes up i will have hoped to release i can't i think i might have talked about this on the podcast before but the you teased it i teased it yeah the um the best way to describe it is a seagull battle royale game it's called the beach And you play as a oh. seagull on a beach, kind of running around from, running away from a wave and avoiding other seagulls. Um, we're trying to get just like an early demo of that up next week. So I'm gonna I'm gonna well, do some press who's blasting, we? but we'll see if it gets. We'll see if anybody I'll cares. Pre- press blast me, bro. I'll press blast, blast you. Me right I'm now. gonna blast you with some peas. Send, send me that email, dude, and then I'll say I can't cover it because it's a conflict of interest. You can say that friend of, <laughs> friend of the show. That's the worst part about doing all this stuff is that like everyone becomes your friend and so it's hard to find legitimate press. It's like you want to be friends with the press just enough where you're not actually their friends. So Exactly. Because yeah. well, there's like a couple people that I like interviewed I feel like early in my kill screen days that I just consider friends now so I can't like use them as sources anymore. Yeah. Well, you know? luckily we're Because not- like we just like talked a lot and now we're like just buddies. It's like, well, that worked badly. <laughs> I did the wrong thing there. It's fine though, Kyle, because- we're not friends, so we can cover yeah. it. So. I, wow. You could just pass yeah. it off you're to someone You're my worst. Else. You're my biggest nemesis. <laughs> I think, listen, I think this game, <laughs> I think it'll I think it'll do okay. I think it's got, a, it's like a funny it's concept. It's a cool fucking idea. It's like, and it's it, going to be yeah. free. Um, you have a hook. Go- and goofy birds are in Goofy right birds now, are bro. in right now. So I'm kind of hoping that something happens. And uh, yeah, we'll honestly, see. bro, I'm going to say seagulls more annoying than geese. Oh, yeah. 100%. Oh, yeah. Once, uh, once I was at SeaWorld, this is when I lived in San Diego when I was a kid. And it's like one of my earliest memories. And we were at SeaWorld. And I think my mom had like a churro or some shit. And a seagull just straight up swooped down and <laughs> took the churro away from her hand. This is the thing. Is that, like, and as a kid, I was like traumatized. So I was like, I was going to eat that. Like, but literally, like seagulls do not give like a geese, fuck. They will eat your food out of your hand. Geese don't fuck with you unless you go try to fuck with a goose. So. I mean. There, a goose also chased my aunt around when I was but a was kid. But was she like so fucking with the goose though? Because she was fucking with the goose. No, we were just trying to have a picnic at a picnic How close table, were you to the goose, and it was though? like, I mean, the the goose was just around, and then the that goose was your just first started mistake. chasing See, my aunt. That was his territory. But like you're saying, yeah, seagulls are just goose, like that picnic table was like goose. Seagulls just fuck you up. They don't care. They can also mm-hmm. shit on you. They can they shit. Oh on yeah, you. yeah, dude. They have the element. I mean, pigeons also shit on you though. Yeah, I've been but sure. there's a pigeon. There's a pigeon skateboarding game coming out. Skatebird. Yeah, skatebird. I'm excited for that. Looks so goofy. I got goofy uh-huh. birds. I got battle royale. I got uh, what else? I got. I got jokes. It's kind of funny. Um, I got squawking. So, ooh, who? That's who gonna be the new like AGDQ with? thing. People are saying honk like every five minutes. Now they're gonna be saying squawk, squawk. squawk. Yeah. <laughs> who's the collab with who are you collabing all right, so with so i'm i would say i'm kind of the lead designer and i'm also a programmer on the project another guy my good friend kevin waters is doing 
a lot of the programming on it as well. Um, there's some like pretty cool stuff we did from a programming standpoint that I might like write a blog about and try to get that shit on Gamma, which is where mostly I get published now. Um, and then our artist is this woman, Emily Grimaldi, who's doing a great job with some like just really awesome uh, like beach art or kind of like our inspiration in general for it is um like uh like what you see in kind of like old vacation postcards where it's like greetings from Florida. It's something like that's kind yeah. of oh, like the that's, style. That's a, cute, that's a cute aesthetic. Yeah. yeah. So we're kind of like trying to find ways to incorporate that a little bit. Um, but she's been doing all the like art the, for uh, that. It's looking cool. So Sufjan Stevens album cover. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's the Illinois yeah. album. Feel the Illinois. Yeah. <laughs> this, is, this is a state album of Sufjan's. Gonna have some yeah. exclusive wow. Sufjan state music in there. Actually, there's currently no music in it. So <laughs> for the first bit, the game's live. Sufjan, probably be, if oh, you're wow. listening, we, we're gonna need some more Carrie and Lowell. Dude, I found out for just my one Sufjan fact for the podcast today, because I knew I did at least one every podcast, is that I am mm-hmm. only two degrees away from Sufjan. I found what? someone who directly knows him. And I was like, "Wow, how can I milk this? I gotta figure out how this happens." I've been I've been rewatching the OC, and there's like a scene with the Sufjan song. That's like what? half that soundtrack yeah. is. Like, I think that show yeah. like made. Well, him no, popular. this is the first Sufjan song. Shockingly, like it's definitely like the OC. Like that's what shaped my music taste when I was a kid. It's oh, hundred like, percent. Wow, I love all these indie rock bands. But like, yeah, it was just like a sad scene with the Sufjan song, <laughs> and they repeated say? it in the same episode. Also, in that finale with that Emogen Heap song, oh, yeah. they played that song earlier in the episode, so Braith was like, oh no, something bad's going to happen because he knows that scene has that song oh, in it. And I was like, no. no, they spoiled it by having it too early in the episode. Didn't he see Dear Sister? Oh no, yeah, he's seen that like that skit and everything which is an amazing did he know that was like, an oc reference yeah yeah he like oh. he knew that scene but he didn't know any of the characters in it you know it's like he just knew of the context <laughs> of it or like the yeah. of it oh, but it was God. like funny because we it's, it's his first time watching the show so he's like wow that was like a, a crazy scene but Shots it's like out. edited so hilariously like it's just yeah. like so many slow-mo of like looking over the is it the oc or it's like oc it's or like so funny. one tree hill was the show that was pre like cell phones so like when you want to go oh they're both free or uh i think the oc starts without cell phones and like they start getting those flip phones i just remember like in one tree hill it was always funny because and i think the oc a little bit but it'd be like oh i gotta go tell this person a thing and so they just like go to their house and they're like drive there hey (laughs) yeah (laughs) i gotta tell you this thing no one calls yeah (laughs) cool and they like go away and then you know today would just be texting there was like, I never watched One Tree Hill because I always thought it was like sappy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it was like too melodramatic. And then I watched scenes from it. I'm like, this show just seems hilarious. Like, there's that scene where the dog eats the guy's heart. Oh, yeah. And then Chad Michael Murray just like shakes his head at the guy that was God. supposed to get the heart. It's like, what the fuck's going on in this scene? Ringer did like an oral history on that scene. Just pretty. Wow, cool. a dog eats a heart in One Tree Hill. Yeah, it's like this guy's about to get this like. L- surgery to save his life and this guy's like carrying a heart in like the hospital yeah. and then he trips the ice the bucket spills like, out ah. and the heart rolls out and then a dog comes in from <laughs> oh nowhere and eats God. it and it's just like the funniest it, out of context it's hilarious it's like what the hell is this show it's amazing All right, a bad anyway, listeners, I don't watch much of Hill but I love listeners. that I know I you guys are see. here I know we're talking about other shit but if you can tell it's because we haven't played a ton of video games it's still kind of the new year a lot of us have been dipping into the back catalogs. We've all been kind of just like 
the year the year still for me i don't know if it feels like this for you guys it's like still like about to get kicked off like i think this coming week yeah. is the first like okay it's game time now but it's i still feel yeah. like in i'm only now kind of coming out of vacation hangover and so yeah, i'm in the yeah, refractory same. refractory period of the holiday <laughs> kind of it was just like a weird because i was off for like two again. weeks basically and then i got back on the second but i feel like i still haven't like Work doesn't feel like it's really kicked off, you know? It's like we're still kind of like just getting back into the flow of it because we had such a long break. We're like, okay, now we got to figure to start thinking about the year ahead and what we want to do. Yeah. And all Because we're about to also get into a really busy review season like starting in February. So it's like we're kind of like there's nothing really much for us to do <laughs> yet. So it's kind of like we're figuring that out. So Which I feel like is weird because I feel like, like in 2019, there's a lot of stuff that came out in January. Uh, oh, yeah. But this year. Yeah, it was like Kingdom Hearts 3 and Resident Evil 2, like in January immediately. And this year it's like. Nothing. February Crickets. to like April, very busy. And then there's like two games in May, which it's is like freaking. Avengers and Blast. Dude, the March, the March one is the crazy one this year. Dude, March is gonna kill me. It's like it's like Animal Crossing and Doom on the same day. That's like but then like a lot of other stuff. Whiplash. That those are like my two most anticipated games. Uh, and then oh yeah, and then Final Fantasy VII remake. Which there's is, like seven or eight guess, games coming out that like that like two weeks of March. Let's see, March yeah. 2020 video game releases. Thanks Google. Final Fantasy VII, MLB The Show 20, Neo 2, Animal Crossing, uh, Doom Eternal. What else we got? I didn't realize there's a new Dying Light two. 2 is supposed to come out this Oh, fucking Cyberpunk, quarter, I think. Yeah, Cyberpunk's April. Oh, April. Wait, really? Yeah. Oh, that's this year? Yeah, it's April. Persona oh 5 Royal, Half-Life Alex. Oh yeah, Half-Life Alex is another one's like I don't have anything to play that, but you know I what? I feel like we're not going to have any piece, people to write think pieces about this stuff anymore. Where am I supposed to get my hot takes about how problematic mm. Cyberpunk is, Blogosphere. you know? What's happening? We need to rebuild the blogosphere from the ground up. <laughs> okay. I have some stuff I want to talk about in the second half. What happened this week? We got we had AGDQ. We don't I mean we talked about AGDQ a lot and we're kind of looking at trying to get some AGDQ related guests in the future. So we'll keep you posted on that. I don't know. So we could talk about it if you guys want, but I don't know. I feel like it's been the best GDQ ever, honestly. Like, I feel like it's just, been, like, all the runs I've watched this week have been, like, so fun and so good. And it's, like, I feel like it was, like, a more, like, chill vibe almost than past year. Like, it just feels like yeah. just, like, a loose, fun atmosphere this year where, like, past years maybe it's just, like, you know, super technical. And, like, the runs yeah. this year, too, are, like, pretty varied. Like, uh, there's this, like, really fun, like, crowd control one they did yesterday where they did the a Link to the Past randomizer. But it was, like, they had that Twitch crowd control extension where they could control like what also is coming into this dude's game That's and crazy. this poor guy it was just like miserable <laughs> like he, he his run was doing going so bad because of just like the crowd fucking with him and it was just and the couch was like really funny too and like it, it was like the only time where the humor was actually good because i feel <laughs> like there's so many instances where it's like People are trying to be funny, and it's just like so cringy. Yeah, and it takes the fun out of the run. That's what I was gonna say. Like, yeah. I think my biggest takeaway this year in watching it is how just like it's like it's a it's both bigger than it's ever been, but it's also still just like aggressively amateur. Like it's it's not even it doesn't really feel like it's trying to even like sand off some of the rough I edges wish, of the community, which is kind of it's exciting I wish to see it was like more 
put together in that respect. Yeah, it's it means frustrating to like try to track stuff down and find where everything is at. But at the same time, it's nice that like the format, even though it's getting bigger and they're bringing in more money, that the sort of roots of how a lot of it has gone for the past, you know, five to 10 years is still kind of there. I think we're just, we're probably like a matter of time away until some big, you know, organization chooses to do their own version of it. And it's all like well-produced in a different way. Um, but for now it's cool that it's just like, it's, it's so amateur. <laughs> it's, it's like, it's very yeah, but You're gonna, you're gonna miss that when it ends up selling out. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. I, I just want them to get better host people. <laughs> I think it's like my main thing. Like, I feel like a lot of the like people that do the interviews in between are just like not skilled at doing interviews. Yeah. So it's just like the interviews aren't like as interesting as they could be, you know? And they're just like, and then they do these joke segments that are just like, so cringy while we're waiting for the next speed run and it's just like man leave the bad jokes to the like speedrunners that like they don't know any better you know <laughs> like i'd rather like it not just be all bad humor which i feel like a lot of it is yeah. um which is unfortunate like there but there's also like i feel like this year like had at least the runs i watched either one didn't have humor because it was just like very interesting like the manifold garden one was like a very fascinating run to watch um, because this guy just like broke the game in such like interesting ways and it was like giving me vertigo because he's like falling down these like giant skyscrapers and everything and it was just like really beautiful to watch um and then there's like others that are just like the people just seem like normal guys like or normal like people you know like they don't seem like this is all they do so they just have like a normal sense of humor but then you get the I weirdos it's <laughs> just crazy yeah i don't like it sounds mean but it's like you know like the people that just feel like this is like a hobby of theirs it's not like their whole life like i feel like those the, the more this runners i enjoy watching it reminds me of when yeah. like when like at the oscars the um like no no hate to these people at all because they do a great job but it's like when all the sound engineers win the oscar for like oh sound engineering on avatar 5 it's like all these guys kind of come out and they're like hey. <laughs> it's all the sound people look like they haven't like left their like sound cave in a long time and they're like Standing I mean, next they're probably to, like, the most Brad overworked Pitt. people in the movie business, too. So it's like they don't know how to, like, react with this because they're not big movie stars. They don't know how to talk in front of a crowd. Yeah, exactly. Like, and it's like they still do a great yeah. job. And obviously their craft is amazing and it makes the whole thing happen. But it doesn't mean that just because they're, like, really great at doing a certain thing means that they're, like, good at being on camera or, like, good at delivering an interview. So I think that's, I mean, to your point, that's kind of what AGDQ would probably have to do next is figure out, like, who can kind of be a voice of this community that is someone that is, like, ready for camera knows how to host knows how to like interview yeah. someone because it's a, that's a skill right everyone just doesn't have that exactly it's definitely like something that like there's a few they have a few people um that are pretty good like i can't remember her name she has like red hair i think she's like a pretty good host person oh i know who you're talking like, about yeah yeah like she like i always like her interviews are fine like she does a good job with them and she has like a great voice. Like she has like a yeah, 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 a great like speaking voice. Like Spike Vegeta know, is also good. Yeah, it's like that's a weird thing to say. It's like oh, they have a good voice, but it's like you know, like they have like, they're calling out those donations. And it sounds good, and they're doing a fun job with it. Uh, but yeah, but then they have like some other people that I'm like, oh, this is yeah, get off the screen. But the thing is, you gotta remember, like I feel these are the people who are in like the most niche like obscure yeah. subsection of gaming possible basically yeah, yeah where it's like they're like the people who 
when you go you go into a board game store, they're playing like a single player like game by themselves, <laughs> rolling dice and like having a really good time just by themselves in the board game store. And I, I'm not I'm really not trying to make fun of these people or anything like that because I think that is really cool. And like where I did, did if I had cared less about other other people thought, I might also be that nerd too you know what i'm saying yeah but i, I feel like that's what's my house kind of, exactly i think that's what's puzzles kind of endearing about like these events is that like you can use your substitute humor aka memes and like you know that will like work with the people around you because social cues and like being super charismatic and outgoing are not like the hallmark of the speed running community you know what i'm saying like there's some people who are going to be able to do that it's also straight up but I was also thinking about this when I was watching the um that like crazy bullet hell run. Uh, oh yeah, oh, God. She, he, yeah. he missed Salma. Salma. Yeah, I don't even want to try. Oh, that's bonkers. But like, like you, I think we talked about it in regards to like esports a little bit before. But you know, someone who's someone who's like good at Dota can probably go and play competitive league and not like be great, but like a lot of their skills are transfer. Same thing for like you know CS:GO, Overwatch, or whatever PUBG to. Um, Fortnite, I don't know any of those things, but like what's interesting about the speedrunning community is that a, like each game is basically its own community of people. And that community is like maybe 10 people, like, especially for smaller games, it might be five people that are the people who are the ones who speed run this game. And the other thing is that no one that speed runs these games is able to like effectively speed run a different game. Because the whole game is its own sort of like structure and rule set that's just like very different from something else. Like I watched probably the most that Super Monkey Ball run and like the guy that is like really good at doing Super Monkey Ball is probably not going to be the guy who can like do the marathon speed run of the bullet hell game or the guy that can do the Sekiro run or like any of that. So you have this kind of like these walls that kind of arbitrarily exist where just having a group of one of these people talk to another group of people about their game like that's like really hard because all of the things that they might know about their game aren't necessarily like transferable to someone else. Like you can complain about like maybe like the latency of your controller at like the boost setup or something, but it's going to be hard to talk about like sequence breaking um, like super Metroid with a person who just did like the monkey ball run or something. There's like, obviously there's some parallels cause it's both speed running, but I think these games are kind of, these walled gardens in and of themselves. That's kind of different in the games community. Yeah. Um, and that's why we love them, you know, that's why we love them. I think that's, what's cool about it is it's almost like crit to me when I, you know, play a game and I really enjoy it, or maybe I don't even enjoy it that much or I'm interested in it. And I interface with that game and I experience it and I'm like, wow, like that was awesome. And I want more after the fact, I want to like engage with that thing more. I'll like read a review and I'll like try to learn more about it. I'll, I'll do some research, stuff like that. But speed running is like such a great way to do that too, where you learn so much about like the inner workings of the game, how it can be broken. Um, and it does have that element of like just being on the bleeding edge of like what's happening with like what's going on behind the scenes in these games that I really enjoy. Um, but yeah, that's, um, I also, I'm going to change the subject here because, <laughs> yeah, but I played Quad Cow, y'all. Yeah. Did you, have you not played that before? No, Ooh. I hadn't played it. 
Okay, <laughs> that's upsetting. Yeah. I don't how? How has it been one like like 2016? How has it been like four years? I'm guessing it's 2016. I don't know if it was actually that seems like it's the been, right year. I would say it came out like 24. No. Maybe it was 2016. 15? 2015? I don't know, man. The Josh looked this up. You're the one that's been playing it. The hacking <laughs> thing always felt kind of like I don't know, like not very compelling to me as something I want to play. But I knew I had to play it and I wanted to, but I just never really had the, you know, the guts to get it started. But mm. that's a really fucking dope game, man. Um, I I think it's cool that Brandon Chung was like, let's do a game with like some gameplay in it. You know what I'm saying? I'm Wonder excited was, about his next game because I feel like it's the same thing where it's like skin deep. It's like a shooter, right? Yeah. yeah. It's he's making a shooter now, and I'm like, right, oh shit, right. really? I mean, his other yeah. games like I mean, besides like Gravity Bone and Thirty Flights, like Flotilla and Adam Zombie Smasher, and one other one I'm forgetting, we're all pretty like gameplay centric. I think it's just the yeah, stuff that was first those. person was typically not as mechanicy. And he combines those things, which is cool. That's and, a, I mean, I said this in the Discord too, but like. Some of that stuff that's not the actual game of Quadrilateral Cowboys, what I really like about it, like all these little vignettes between the maps are like mm-hmm. so evocative. I think that stuff is so cool. And I also think like the world and just the world building that's in this game is so like powerful, even though it's just little fucking blocks. Yeah. Like, like yeah. Basically Lego bricks, Roblox-esque graphics going on, except that first scene where you have like a Walkman, but you put a, a freaking LP vinyl LP into it. (laughs) You're just just, just like, Oh, okay. And you're riding on this, like, Oh, it looks like an old motorcycle, but it hovers and shit. That shit's strong, man. And, um, it's just just a cool game. Like it just has a cool ass vibe. Like it, like when I played it, it, like kind of like gave off like a cowboy bebop vibe and just like this kind of like grunge mm. not grunge grungy's the wrong word but like you know like future but like still it feels kind of like grounded in a way you know like everything yeah. kind of feels junky and clunky and cool yeah and it's just like it has a sick vibe and i love heist things and that's all it is is just cool yeah. heist shit you it's, know and it's one of those uh things where it's just every level is a new idea and they don't like he doesn't linger yeah. on it for too long. Um, it could have been like five hours longer easily. Um, oh yeah, that was like well, I mean, there's like it got mod support, mod support later and stuff. Yeah. So I'm sure there's cool extra shit that pe- fans have made. Um, I actually never even checked out mods. Uh, I remember when because I I think mod support came like a year or something yeah, it was after a while release. Afterwards. So it was like. I wanted mod support like at launch and then it just didn't come till later. And at that point I was like, ah, um, eh. speaking of speed runs, I was like, when you get through the level, it like shows you your time and it shows you like all your friends times. Oh yeah. And like, I just kept Katie's times were abysmal. By the way, <laughs> I'll have you know. Dude, I played that so long. <laughs> FYI, Katie's times just awful. So I mean, I'm sure they were. I honestly kind of want to replay it. Like it's been so long, but I'm not surprised when my times are really bad. <laughs> but yeah, it's interesting because like the hacking in that game, you actually have to type stuff. Yeah, yeah. and um, it actually feels hackery and programmery in in like a very rudimentary way. So when you're speed running a level, like you still have to go in there and type stuff. There's some stuff that's kind of annoying. Like 
I, this isn't even an issue with like the game. It's just like an inconvenience, but it's weird because when you start a level, if you pull up your deck, you still have access to the most recent commands you used. So if a level only has like four or five commands to get through it, you can just like open up your deck and you don't have to type anything. You just go back to like the command you used previously and just press that and then the doors will open and all this shit. So <clears throat> if you have like one command set that like does everything you need to do in the level, you can just kind of like trigger that at every point instead of having to like interface with the computer at all. Um, Some hot speed run strats. I figured this out. This is what helped me get through my speed run, man. Um, <laughs> but some of the levels are like just really cool and interesting. And you feel like a fucking genius when you figure stuff out. You're like, oh, I have, I I'm got ingenuity, you know? Is ingenious a, is that like a, 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 a person who is has ingenuity? Is that what that means? I think it's different. I mean, it could be typically like ideally someone who is ingenious has ingenuity, but something, someone could also do something really stupid that was ingenious and not have ingenuity. I think if you have ingenuity, it's like a greater chance that you're an ingenious person. Is ingenuity related to the French ingenue at all? I have no idea. (laughs) <laughs> uh well we're gonna have listeners uh hit us up with the uh the old, hit us up in the discord let us know what the answers to these questions are i'm too lazy to google it right we're now i'm recording a podcast yeah uh hit us up in the discord if you're not part of the discord you can get onto that at patreon.com slash bad end um i'm trying to remember oh, oh go ahead no, no no yeah you're trying to remember what i was just trying to remember like some of the stuff when i played quad cow I don't remember if I actually beat it, but I remember playing a lot of it. I, was- I feel like I can't remember if I beat it either. I probably didn't. I don't know. I remember playing a lot of it, but I remember like going back and playing levels again. I'm just trying to remember if like um I want to replay because it's like so fuzzy. But just like the hacking stuff, like I'm trying to remember how like it, it's like it's cool and it feels cool, but I'm trying to remember how many times like this like a lot of my beef with puzzle games I think I've mentioned on here is often that. Like in a game like Portal, um, you're like when you start the level, you kind of see what you have to do. And then the game just becomes execution at that point. Like, can I do this thing fast enough? There's not really there's not really a lot of like active puzzle solving. I'm trying to remember if Quad Cow is similar in that way. Where it's like Quad Cow So Quad Cow is kind of like that, where a lot of it is actually execution based, and once you know what to do, you can kind of get through it faster. But I think the element of like getting through this shit really quickly and in a streamlined way is made it's made extra enticing because of like the programming stuff. You want to make your code more elegant and the way that you like traverse through these levels more elegant. And I did go back through a lot of these levels of replay. I'm like, oh, I can do that in like a way better time or I can do that without triggering the alarm or I could do X, Y, Z in this level to like make things work better. Um, and I did that a lot, especially on the levels that I really dug going through, um, because they're just, they're they're just fun. Yeah. Um, um, there's also like a lot of cool stuff that they start introducing. Like, did you guys get, do you remember the part with the blink, blink commands? Yes. That's when you can like automate stuff, right? Yeah. When you, you can like set every time you, when you blink, it it causes like a specific, uh, thing that you've 
programmed in that, there yeah. to trigger. But like you can program it so like if you blink three times, something will trigger. If you blink four times, something will happen. And they're just like, yeah, little macros essentially that happen. Um, but like you can get through like some whole levels with just blinking if you like set all your stuff beforehand, if you like choreograph it and stuff. Right. But there's just a lot of ways to go through a level that I think is really cool. Yeah. That game is rad as fuck. I, I really want to replay it because I remember so little about it. Um, I also and, want yeah. to talk for a brief moment here about COD Wii. COD Wii Wii. COD uh, Wii. AKA Call of Duty World War II. Oh, um, why? Because <laughs> I played that. Why? Is that the old one? Because like there, years ago? There, it's two years ago. Yeah. It's like you're I got it late. on Humble Monthly. Oh, okay. And I've... And well, I'm not, I'm not going to fucking pay $60 for a Call of Duty game. Fuck that. I mean, you should get Modern Warfare on and then we can play. Because it's cross-play, so it doesn't... I would matter. only get it to play with you. Katie. Play it with me. Okay, maybe, but <laughs> if, if it goes on sale, get it. Okay, <laughs> don't pay sixty for but it. Anyway. But they're doing like free map support and everything, which is great. Maps suck, but the new maps have been good. So the original Call of Duty, which is also set in World War Two, for the people who don't remember, is dope. Like I fucking love that game. I love kind of World War Two shooters. I I don't know why. I like feeling like I'm in a fucking war sometimes. You like, want to be in the trenches. Yeah, man. Know? I got those. There's some moments in COD, the first COD, where you're like, there's some intense stuff going on. The sound design is nuts. It feels really like intense. And the there's a D-Day scene at the beginning of that one. And this one starts off with a D-Day scene too. You got to do that if you're making a World War II game. That's like... But it's this one is not even fucking... It doesn't didn't do anything. It's like there's no tension. It's you're just like a badass soldier. They fucking let you do anything in this game. Your guns are like in, have insane fire rates. It feels like Wolfenstein, man. Because <laughs> it's a Call of Duty game, they have to do that. They can't be like, "What the hell, man? This this thing doesn't fire the same rate as a Mac 10." The <laughs> fuck. But like, it's I am just in awe at how shitty the like writing and like, oh i heard campaign. the, the campaign's really bad in world it war ii i never played terrible. that one, so i'm just saying if you ever if you wanted to pick that game up because you like the world war ii shooters you're probably going to be disappointed because it's fucking bad so just go man. play medal of honor frontline instead yeah <laughs> yeah or maybe the original call of duty because i think that had more oh of an impact yeah the on me. the first I feel like the first full, I guess four, I'm trying, because Modern Warfare 4 was, or Call of Duty 4 was Modern Warfare. So I feel like the first four Call of Duties were all just like very good. You know? I just remember yeah. like. And then they, they, the quality kind of got dodgy from there. But All you young whippersnappers might not know this on the podcast, listeners, but it used to be that first person shooters were just World War II. <laughs> Like every first yeah. person yeah. shooter was that, a World that was War II all shooter. It was. Until yeah. like literally. literally like Call of Duty Modern Warfare and then Modern Warfare changed it. Everything changed. It's like the Fire Nation. <laughs> I mean, Modern Warfare itself is like like such a great oh, game. Oh yeah, that game is still uh, dope. Like truly, truly good. Um but yeah, they did that that definitely changed things because then it was like all the developers realized, 
Oh, we don't have to do things set in World War II? Well, I think okay. it was also like it was a perfect storm of um like there's a there's there's sort of like a critical distance between what stuff you're able to like effectively like not like inner I don't know what the word is, like entertainmentize or like be critical of or something without being um like an insensitive. Like it'd be weird right now to make a video game about like the drone that attacks Suleimani in Iran. That'd be like probably in pretty bad taste, but in like mm. four, four years from now, like maybe less so, you know? And I think that when Modern Warfare came out, it was like just far enough away from like the start of the Iraqi war where it was like, okay, in a way to start making games about like modern fighting. Um, and I think before that, it was like maybe too soon. And then before that, it was like, World War II was in the 40s, so uh, yeah. There wasn't yeah. Really, I guess there's some wars in between there, but this is actually a good jumping off point into the big thing that I wanted to talk about this episode. Um, if you guys are down, uh, I mean, as I'll say really quick, I've been playing Final Fantasy VII on yeah. my Switch, the original. Which I like. I kind of had the moment where I was like, I should replay this before the remake comes out. It's been a long time. I feel like I've started Final Fantasy VII probably like a dozen times, but like I think I've only played it through to the end once when I was a kid. So I like really want. I've been wanting to like really just you know look at it from like an adult's perspective. And that game's like r- still really striking. Like it just like l- the background art's great. Sometimes it's, like, really hard to read. Like, you can't, like, tell where you're supposed to go, which I find really fascinating. Um, and I think they fixed it in, like, Final Fantasy IX, which had, like, a similar style. Like, eight was totally different, but nine is kind of similar in that respect. Um, but the writing's really bad. Like, worse than I remember. <laughs> and it, like, I only watched, like, a couple episodes of front of the show, Tim Rogers. He did, like, a series breaking down the localization for the English version of uh, Final Fantasy VII and like how like it's it's harder it was like a super hard localization because like the blue boxes are so tiny right and with Japanese characters you can fit so much more into it so like in Japanese there's like more nuance obviously to the writing and it's just like a, a better written game which is what Tim argues but then like in English they like super chop it up and kind of like Sometimes it's like elegant and works, but a lot of time it's like, wow, they they did their best, but they couldn't cram all this stuff in. Um, which I find really like it's interesting to play that with knowing that all in mind, I guess. Like because when I was a kid, I didn't know any better. Um, but it's also interesting because of like this new remake is just gonna be the Midgar portion, and that's only like a small part of the game, relatively. So I'm just like, I don't know how the it's not the whole fuck thing. They're gonna stretch all. Yeah, it's what just gonna. Well, no, it's it's gonna be like they're doing like a, like different parts, so I feel like it's gonna be a Shenmue situation, <laughs> where it's gonna be like another decade until part two. But I'm like, Ugh. is it just gonna be too hot? They don't they don't have like a part one in the name or anything, which I'm like, you're just deliberately confusing audiences because they're gonna go yeah. into this thinking this is the full remake, but they've like explicitly said this is just Midgar, but we it's like the full length of an RPG. They've said so it's like gonna be like a 30 40 hour thing theoretically like the original game is like just pretty much 40 ish hours on its own like i literally don't know how they're gonna like expand it like i guess there'll just be more stuff but i'm like why (laughs) 
I don't know. It's it's really really strange. The whole saga really they're like mishandling or like I don't even know what you describe it as, but this whole like Final Fantasy Seven as like a cultural object and Sony's like inability to just like provide a straight remake of it is so strange. It's so strange. And like I'm excited for it because like I, I played the demo at E three and I saw a behind the scenes demo and it like looks great. The action I think is really fun. Like it's it feels like a action version of that combat, which like the one thing I am surprised about with replaying it is how much I like the combat system. Like it's like turn based, but it's like it has this like it's like active. So it's like you're like constantly having to make decisions. And it's just like it's not like the best battle system. Like there's definitely better Final Fantasy battle systems out there, but it's like a lot of fun. And I'm like really enjoying it. Um and also on because this is like a port of the PC version, you can speed it up so like you can have it moving at like three times the speed, so oh, like really? everything goes by really fast. That's nice. It's fucking great. Oh, I gotta great. play that. It's genius. I did that. It's great. Like everything except for cutscenes play three times. Like even just like when you're like the people like talking. I before, did that like, with Final Fantasy yeah. Nine, and I just like grind it. I just like kept on going to battles <laughs> and just pressing A, and I ground like yeah. twenty levels in like a couple minutes. Is kind of the shit, but um. Yeah, it's great. It's like, and it's like great Switch game. Like, I, I also got the Final Fantasy VIII uh, remaster, which they, it's like, they made that game actually look better for the Switch port, which is really, or the port in general. It's on all whatever consoles. Uh, so I'm excited to play that after. I think I'm just going to kind of like play seven through nine again because it's been so long and I've been wanting to play like a JRPG, like, well, like a classic JRPG, and there hasn't been like, a good JRPG in a minute, I feel like. I feel like since Nier Automata probably is the last JRPG I, like, really clicked with. I mean, I guess Dragon Quest Eleven, but, like, yeah. I was waiting for that to go on sale on Switch, and it's the last They just it, released so. the Nino Kuni remaster, I think, is on Steam. Yeah, which is also very good. Yeah. Also, great game. Love that game. I don't know how it plays on Switch. I'm assuming great, because I love that game to death. Don't play Nino Kuni 2. That game sucks. Um, yeah. Yeah. This is actually also a good jumping off point into what I want to talk interrupt about. you again. Let's, let's now. do it. Hold on, I want to interrupt you. <laughs> Kyle's I want to get my shit in. Come on. Um, yeah, yeah, of course. I've started playing The Witcher Three for the first time. <laughs> nice, nice. I'm proud of you. Yeah, I'm surprised. It's it's been so long of me and Josh hyping it up. I know. Well, years and years. Again, my reasoning is that I loved Witcher Two. Um. And Witcher 3 came out when I was like moving to New York. And so I had like no computer or anything. Mm. So it was just like a weird time. And then by the time I had stuff to play it on, I was like, other stuff was there to play. And so, uh, yeah, but I'm finally playing it. And it's like, I don't know. It, it's like, it's weird to start playing this game right now, especially like, I still feel like I'm living a little bit of the Disco Elysium hangover. Like the game is just so good and it feels so fresh and new. Playing The Witcher feels like playing kind of like a 2010s open world RPG um, that's Witcher themed a little bit. Uh, and like the writing is great and the characterization is great. And I personally like love all the combat and stuff and it feels really good. But it's weird to start playing something that I know is like, you know, capital G good but playing it already feeling like it feels like an older game in a lot of how it works. 
like a lot of checkpointing, a lot of like mini quests, a lot of kind of all this smaller stuff. Um, also like playing it after Breath of the Wild came out, which feels like a new way to do an open world game that this game is just not. This Witcher 3 feels like kind of the best version of what an open world style game could have been like pre-Breath of the Wild, but it's weird playing it now at like with with kind of like my first my first experience with it feeling like it does actually feel like a little bit of a step back in terms of where open world RPGs are going. Um but I still like it. Like it's still fun and I I really want to keep playing it and just 100% it. Um but it's it, it's just surprising to me in starting it that I'm I feel like this already and I've only got I think like 3 or 4 hours in. Um So yeah, it's I don't know have you guys played it recently yeah. at all? I think you're comp- I have because I watched that Witcher show yeah. over the break. And then I real I remembered like, oh, I never finished Blood and Wine, which is the second expansion uh, set in the new area, Toussaint. And I started playing it again. And I was surprised like how for like one, how quickly I fell back into it. But also like I, I don't know. I, I don't like I definitely get the like old feeling of it. It definitely feels like kind of of that early ps like console era rpg but it's like definitely i think the best version of that yeah and i think the storytelling itself is so good and i think what i really lo- like what reminded me like what i loved so much about the witcher is that yeah there's like all these quests and whatnot but all the quests are like really fleshed out like they all have like impact in their own way like i did this like super forgettable or like it would be a forgettable side quest where like i helped this guy i was it was basically like an escort mission like i escorted this guy around while i could like take photos of animals but then, like, after, like, his friend, his buddy told me, like, oh, yeah, like, he used to go around, like, taking photos of animals with, like, his wife. But then his wife fell off a horse and now she's paralyzed. So he does it just to bring back photos for her now so she can kind of feel like she's still going on adventures. And it had, like, this, like, emotional impact Damn. for, like, such a, like, one-off <laughs> side. So I was like, God, this is hella sad. And then, like, and there's another one where it's, like, it was just, like, a mo- like a monster hunting thing. Like, oh, like, go hunt off this, hunt this beast we've seen a white in this house uh, and Geralt goes, but instead of like killing the white, like you have a decision, you can either fight the white or you can like talk to it and try and like lift the curse that's been afflicted to it, to her. And then you do that. I chose like, Oh, I'm, I'm just going to try and lift the curse instead. And you get her. And then she like turns to a normal human again. And it turned out like, Oh, she used to be like the super rich lady. And then she refused to like, feed a poor beggar outside of her mansion and then he cursed her and then she turned to this like horrible monster like, Damn. but now she's like an old lady hundreds of years later yeah it's like it's definitely like a like uh, maybe she just beauty and the beast but, <laughs> but it's like sad it's like now she's like it's like she was a monster for hundreds of years and all her family has died so she has like nowhere to go so Geralt's like you can just like live on my fucking wineries that I've inherited for no particular reason so, like, she's just there always on your property, just, like, cooking and whatnot. And it's just, like, oh. really interesting. Like, I feel like it's, like, what I love about The Witcher 3 is it makes, like, every side story feels like they put as much, like, effort into it as, like, a main quest line. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah. Like, even just, like, the beast hunts, like, have these big, like, elaborate stories and, like, mechanics to it. Because every beast has, like, a different, like, challenge. Like, you know, you want to brew this oil or should do the strategy it's just cool it's interesting too because like with the dlcs i feel like hearts of stone were like was like what if we did a really one really big story 
in the course of like five hours that's like just really compelling throughout there's a lot of stuff going on it's very like tight and compact and that's why i love hearts of stone and then with blood and wine they were like they did the opposite where it's like what if we just scattered a bunch of like small vignette stories like all over this beautiful countryside the stakes aren't that high but like you just kind of get to go around and experience these like little serialized stories everywhere with like a little combat thrown in but these just like little scenarios and it's like just two very different sides of a the same like RPG coin that they do really well at. And I think when you're comparing it to like Breath of the Wild, which is like probably the best open world design we've like ever seen, you know, one could argue. And then like Disco Elysium, which is one of the best, you know, written games we've ever seen. It's like. You know, it's it's not that it's unfair because, yeah, sure, like, they're there to be compared with, but it is, like, a, it's kind of, I don't know. It's it's, well, it's, it's just, a lot to do. What the crazy part about it, though, right, is that, like, literally, like, the year before those games came out, like, people were saying that The Witcher 3 is, like, the best game ever. Like, just zero, like, caveats. Like, Witcher 3 is, like, the best video game there ever was. Like, it's so perfect. There's, what could we, what could anybody ever do to top this? And then, like, the next year or two years after, it's, like, Breath of the Wild comes out. And so I don't, I don't think it's totally unfair because I do think that it'd be a different thing if The Witcher 3 was, like, some middling game that happened to have, like, a kind of a passionate audience. But, like, that game was touted as, like, the best game that there could be. Um, and to just to see that sort of shift, even in the past few years, a sort of like um, like styles and mores of the genre start to move towards something new has been really surprising. Um, and that the Witcher and the Witcher Three is still a great game. Like that's I don't, none of us are disputing that. But just the fact how, in some senses, how quickly that can shift when something new starts to appear. Because um, otherwise, yeah, you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I don't think we should. I don't think it's wise to be like, what could possibly be better than this? I mean, even though we've done it to a certain extent with Disco Elysium, I think, you know, something could theoretically come out that's, quote, better or that, like, does different things better. But um, I think it's I good mean, to Cyberpunk is coming out in two months, right? Like, that would be interesting. That would be really oh, man, interesting so to see. For Cyberpunk. I, that's, I'm mostly excited just to see, like, how the fuck do they follow up what people tell is, like, one of the best games of the generation. Like, how do you Yeah, that's what I mean, right? That, it's like, you know? It's like, is is Cyberpunk going to be a better version of what The Witcher is? Or is it going to try to be, like, a new thing in the way that Breath of the Wild to, you know, Wind Waker or something? Um, mm. Probably not that. I yeah, think it's going to be, probably, like, yeah. Witcher 3 style. <laughs> Which I think is it's still like fine. Witcher th- yeah. Yeah, I'm from what I heard of the so writing, about that game. from what I heard of in those trailers and demos, I was not did not inspire confidence. That's what I'm like. I'm worried about because I I don't know. I also think the cyberpunk aesthetic <laughs> is just kind of tired. We've seen so many cyberpunk games, so many and movies and everything, you know. And it's like I just want. I want it to be good because I love The Witcher 3 so much, especially because revisiting it like just like a few weeks ago. Like I yeah. really want it to be as good as that. Yeah. I don't know if it will meet, reach that. I don't know. It's it's It could be super amazing too. It's like I honestly, I don't doubt CD Projekt Red to pull it off because I'm sure it's going to be really good in at least one respect. Like 
but I, I'm definitely like cautiously optimistic. Yeah. Um, I, this is not a, no longer a good jumping off point for the conversation <laughs> that I wanted to bring up. I, Kyle destroyed but, I could bring no, up something else that no, might no, be no. a jumping off point. Uh, no, I got, so I got, but we're talking about Final Fantasy 7. We're talking about The Witcher 3, a couple of very influential games, right? Um, and I was thinking about this a lot in the context of our end of the decade, end of the year conversations and how like when we're talking about deliberations, we talk about like influence, we talk about how this is going to affect games over the coming years. But I started thinking, is influence even a worthy criteria in video games of discussing? Because when I think about influence in video games, it's just none of it feels like necessarily qualitatively good to me where I think about like Prince of Persia, the original Prince of Persia and how its innovation was like, you, your character slides around a little bit more and then that influenced <laughs> other games where it's like now your character it moves more realistically and they slide around a little bit more and it's like that influenced a lot of games but is that fucking is that a good thing like does it matter if your character slides around a little bit more realistically compared to like a, another platformer where the character just stops when you stop inputting the controls you know what i'm saying like there's so many weird things that we say are make games influential that don't actually they're not actually like necessarily good things and then when they do it again it's like why why do we care about this like think about how influential grand theft auto 3 was okay mm. for an open world game and how, you know, Dead to Rights, Saints Row, fucking Mafia, any Jack 2. State any, of Emergency. Like, state of Emergency. Any number of games that came out after the fact. Does it matter that Grand Theft Auto 3 was influential? Does its influence mean a goddamn thing in the context of like how, what the quality of the game was or how we should talk about it? Why does it matter that it influenced other games that came out. What does it matter that people cloned it for a long time? Is that good? I don't think so. Like, I feel like all of those games would have probably been better if they weren't trying to rip off Grand Theft Auto 3. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel like, like, I, I'm trying to think of, like, games from, like, the past decade or whatever, and, like, Dark Souls is, like, yeah, I feel like Dark Souls is, like, the most influential game. Show. But I also feel like it's important to look at the where those ideas came from, and the like. And other other games may have done the Dark Souls thing better. I don't think there really is one, but you know, like theoretically, there's like a game that's done the Dark Souls thing better. But like you want you, I feel like we need to look at the origins, or like even just like two D platformers. Like you look at Super Mario Bros. and be like, yeah, that's what did it best, and they still do it best. Arguably, it's like the most precise platformer out there. But I don't know. I feel like there's still value in looking at the origins of something that's like influences a shitload of games you know is your question on like if influence should color what someone's best game of the decade is or if influence like matters as a concept no i think it's both i think it's like should influence matter when we evaluate video games critically at all because i don't the more i think about it the more i feel like influence in video games is often actually a bad thing in a lot of ways because video games are already so like recursive and dependent on the past and nostalgic that it's like wh why does this even matter man like 
why think of the Dark Souls clones that have come out. None of them are like as good. When I think of the good games that have come out that like really surprised me and did something different and were good, like they were just their own things because so much territory within games still has yet to be explored that I would rather a game do something new than like take influence from somewhere, you know? And I think like the fact that something is influential plays into, I think using influence as a means of measuring a game's like significance or impact is the gut reflex with video games because video games are so referential to past stuff. But I think that plays into like our worst reflexes as games critics because of the fact that influence in video games often is not good. Like the idea that a game influenced something else, like it's not intrinsically a good thing because the clones, the copies, the things that lift from it are like not really doing it as well. And I think that's where I'm kind of struggling where it's like, why do we put so much weight on a game's influence? Why does that even matter? I'm kind of going back to my point where like, I still think like, yeah, like maybe like we're putting too much stock in influence or whatever, but I also feel like you can't like write that off, if that makes sense, you know? Like developers are influenced by each other, really. That's like, most games are influenced by other games rather than outside media. That's just like, or AAA games particularly, but that's like really what it comes down to. And I feel like, to go back to Dark Souls, I feel like Dark Souls was like one of those examples of a game that like, a lot of developers loved, you know? Like, it's, like, very, like, mechanical and has all these, like, strange obtuse systems. And that's something that was, like, people are like, I want to do that, you know? So, like, they tried to do it in multiple ways, which we discussed on the, I think, with the episode of Ben Pack, we talked about that. But I don't think there's, like, a way, I don't know. Maybe I'm, like, understanding what you're Let saying Let me put wrong. this, I think, okay, here's, I think, the kind of crux of what I'm trying to get at is... When I think about the way that like music is influential, right? I think of how Prince fused R&B with rock in a really satisfying way and had it really been done before. And his influence wasn't that just like people just cribbed his style. It wasn't just that like people did a Prince and they were like, oh, I'm going to do use a chorus pedal and make something really sentimental. A lot of people who just like straight up jacked his sound were kind of forgotten about, you know, but Prince had other influence as well, which is that like he kind of allowed artists to think in ways that they hadn't before. And he allowed, you know, rock artists and black artists and hip hop artists to kind of think along the lines. If you think of like He's not like pulling a Prince style wholesale, but he is like influenced by the artist Prince and like that stuff factors into his art as well. And I think like those lines of influence in other media like music and film where it's like it allows artists to break out of these like pre-constructed shells that they had like been living in. I think that's where the real value in influence comes from. And I think that's why like an album like Purple Rain is really fucking special. But when I look at video games and I look at Dark Souls, it doesn't, it's not nearly a similar thing where it's like Dark Souls came up with like five design ideas that like developers just stole after the fact because the way that games are made has that flattening effect anyway, where you, you think about fucking Star Wars, this new Star Wars, the game that 
just came out where it's like they have bonfires and your character attacks slowly and he like parries attacks or whatever. That's not like allowing the influence of Dark Souls isn't allowing them to like break some barrier that had been there before and to like open up new ways of thinking about video games. And then maybe I'm not I'm just not like delving deep enough into the better influence of Dark Souls here. But I think more often than not, the way that influence in video games works is that some focus group is like, oh, we like the way that Red Dead Redemption had a mini map and all the characters had a thousand voice lines apiece. So we're going to just import that into our video game. And that's the influence. You know what I'm saying? Does that make more sense? I think I hear what you're getting at, but I think, yeah. I guess I'm, I'm getting tripped up. Cause I think there's kind of like a, there's like a, there's kind of like a dichotomy between like influence and like referencing. I think the influence of a game is not something that a developer is necessarily thinking about. Like, I don't think that the Dark Souls developers anticipated Dark Souls to be as influential as it was. But I think what, when you kind of what you're talking about when developers are sort of cribbing stuff, I think is more games being like too referential. Um, but I think that's less about a game's influence. And I think, I don't think that like, Dark Souls is somehow like culpable for all the copies that it spawned. But I no, do I'm not. think that developers that worked on them that are referencing that stuff. I mean, I think one thing that I think is that I I'm with you that I, I feel like when people say that they were inspired by Dark Souls, what that often means is that they just like wholesale ripped out mechanics and were like, I put it in my game now. And it's like, that's not, it's not really <laughs> the same thing. It's, it's not like what you're talking about with music or like film or something. It's, to be influenced by a game so often just means like, oh, I was influenced by inside. So now my game is like desaturated platformer. It's like, well, you're just taking yeah. that. Like you're not actually being inspired by that. You're just literally copying. Um, That's so, exactly yeah, it's, it's what I'm to trying think, to say. Yeah. I'm not saying it's bad for a game to be influential. And I'm not saying it's bad for developers to be influenced by something else. I'm saying it's bad to gauge a game's success or potency or power based on its influence because influence often doesn't actually mean that much from a qualitative standpoint you know what i'm saying i think it requires like there's this funny because this is actually a topic of one of the most recent spelunky casts um when they had been at fadi on they're kind of talking about if like spelunky was the game of the decade um for similar reasons kind of in like how it's it as a roguelike um, influence, like basically made roguelikes be popular in the 2010s in a lot of ways. But at the same time, like there wasn't really a game that was kind of like Spelunky that was anywhere near as good as Spelunky. And one of the things they kind of land on that I would agree with in this context too, is that it, like games are so much more than their collections of mechanics. It's like, it's the mechanics, but it's, it's also how it controls. It's also how it looks and how it sounds and how it feels and what the story is about. And it's one thing to be like, I'm inspired by Dark Souls. So I added a bonfire to my game. But the bonfire in Dark Souls <laughs> means so much more than just the fact that there's a bonfire on the floor. It means that there's this respite from this like really huge slog. And it means that it's this literal light and darkness metaphor that Dark Souls plays with. It has all this sort of collective meaning to it. So when you just rip a mechanic out of a game, you're not really borrowing what makes that thing feel resonant in the same way like, making your game have a procedural map like Spelunky doesn't mean your game will feel like Spelunky. It just means that your game now is a procedural map. So I think that people don't go 
like if they're referencing something, it's less that they're actually borrowing the context of the thing that they're referencing. It's so often they just kind of steal the thing without thinking of how it actually fits in the greater system of their game that they're working on. Um, and like why, and they don't really choose to question why that works in something like Dark Souls or Spelunky, which I think you do get, like when you're talking about a music or film, like someone borrows what Prince does in his music for some of what they do in their music, but understand how to deploy, how to deploy that sort of thing is like, as an effective device to get it a feeling, but recognize that it's not like someone goes and re-records Purple Rain. It's like, look, I'm inspired by Prince, which I exactly. feel like would be the game's equivalent. That's exactly what I'm trying. Like, that's a really great way of putting it. And that's what I'm trying to say with all this is that when we discuss, you know, what makes a good game and how, and I feel like it's become such a cornerstone of critical conversation to be like, this was such an influential game. So many games started taking stuff from this. I feel like it is a reflex for us because we think games recursive, games take from each other, therefore influential game equals good game. Whereas I think the stuff that is good about a game typically has very little to do with how many other games it influenced in the future. I think other games uh, imitate good games because they're good but they don't like like you said they don't take those like the the core beautiful elements and then bring them to life again in their own way they just try to pick it up wholesale and i think that's like an issue with the way that we look at video games as critics so that we have to just rectify and be like yo whenever we start thinking about influence i think we have to start thinking why what kind of influence does it have that like actually matter what did it allow future game developers to do to like break out of their molds and do something different dark souls i think you know now that i think about it a little bit more you could make the argument that it allowed developers to do something that was like a little bit more challenging to their audiences you know that they could break out of the like you can't make a game that difficult you can't do this type of thing i could see that as being like a quote good influence of dark souls but i don't think that applies to every type of game because i don't think that kind of influence stretches that far you know and to, yeah. to your point about spelunky that's a great example because i feel like spelunky is both extremely influential and extremely not that influential because it's kind of inimitable you can't just rip right, spelunky so you know like everything that makes spelunky is so very specific and so just singular in the way that it comes out that i see a lot more roguelikes that look like say like rogue legacy or something like that than spelunky you know what i'm saying yeah so yeah i, I wouldn't even evaluate spelunky based on its influence anymore either and i'm saying all this stuff because i was talking about influence a lot in our end of year end of decade deliberations i was saying like this was a, such an influential game i think i i listened back to like our Oberdin episode and we talked up we talked a lot about how Oberdin has the potential to influence more games than Red Dead Redemption. We talked it, we compared the like influ potential influence of both games. And I just think that's not uh, thinking back on it and like being self-critical and saying like, why am I making that evaluation of this game? Like, why does it actually matter how many games it influences? If Oberdin doesn't influence one other game, it doesn't make it a bad game. It doesn't make yeah. Red Dead Redemption 2 a better game if it influences hundred games versus Oberdin influencing two games in the future. Um, so 
in fact, I think like I would rather have something that stand on, stands on its own and nobody ever wants to make ever again because this thing did that thing so well. And it's such like a niche idea and niche thing that, you know, nobody needs to, feels like they need to do that ever again type thing. Then a game like Red Dead Redemption 2 where it like iterates upon itself. I don't know. I'm just I guess I'm just saying we should think about what we what we mean when we talk about influence. I had I had a similar thought recently that was less about influence, but more about like um, it was in discussion on some other podcasts specifically about the notion of like too many games coming out. Although 2019 on Steam, there were slightly fewer games released than 2018. So we might have reached peak release. Um, so don't let that be too soon. Yeah, we'll see. But um, but specifically they were talking about like how if you want to play like a a pretty good game, you could just do that. And most games are pretty good. And mm-hmm. so it kind of it was leading me to sort of think about like how do we reframe what a good game is in light of the fact that everything is like pretty good? Um like how what are ways for us to sort of like raise the bar so that we can like more we can like better spread out the spectrum again because something that's just like a that like 7.5 game is like why don't we just say it's a bad game why can't we just say now that like just don't play that like it's not worth your time to spend 30 hours on something that's like pretty good because we're living in like a golden age of like so many amazing things are coming out all the time what are like the ways in which we can i mean it sounds kind of pessimistic but it's like how do we start to separate like what is actually like quote unquote a good game from something that's like pretty good? Because I feel like there's just not enough time for everyone to play all that stuff anyways. And if anything, it because the locality of those sorts of things on like the, you know, seven to 10 review scale, it's hard to say what makes like, you know, John Wick Hex better or worse than like XCOM 2. I think we need to stop talking about the technical details of a game. I think that's a relic of old games uh, criticism where whether or not a game was playable or like the camera worked well or the graphics were good enough was really important. Like literally story was like one facet of evaluating a video game in the past that like got its own 1.0 1.0 I think about like the game trailers reviews or like yeah. this is how every game site used to do it back in the day where it was like graphics audio s- story that's such an old way of looking at video games but I think people still do that and I've said this multiple times and the thing you know it comes back where it's like well a lot of games do have a lot of technical difficulties blah 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 but I think we just have to like take into account that like yo some games are going to have a little bit of clunk to them quadrilateral i mean cowboy. i still feel like you need to like mention that like i reviewed with tom and like i mentioned that i fucking lost the save in my review but i still like that game quite a bit so i still like gave I it a high score think that if a game has extreme technical issues like i've heard what tom has then okay i mean i guess it's worth it's worth i feel like it's like I think people's like, I don't know. It's like I, how I say it's like people are going to be spending their money on this. I still think technical issues, if they impact the game, it's like your experience of the game. If they're like, whole, like if they maybe 
don't slight the game at all or maybe if they like you were like oh i really like this game but i had so many like framery issues that it was basically unplayable like with control control is like basically unplayable on ps4 but you know i still i think it warrants mentioning still like i don't think it's like should be like the huge thing and i think grading something on graphics is stupid like that's really dumb like i don't agree with that whatsoever but like I think, like, actual, like, technical issues is totally fair game. I feel like the issue, though, with that shit, though, is that's, like, it made a lot of sense when someone was shipping a cartridge to, like, Toys R Us and you went and bought a game and that's what you got. Like, how many times have people mentioned graphical or, like, you know, save or, like, like technical, um, like, performance issues that get, like, patched out before the game is even live to the public. The Witcher 3. Think about how many people talked about how shitty the inventory was, how annoying the movement was, and they patched that within like a month where Geralt's character controlled completely different a month afterwards because people complained about it. And But you're going to, like if you would look back at those reviews, you would still see like, this game has major movement issues, blah, blah, blah. But that's not what anybody remembers about The Witcher 3. Now, that's kind of what I'm saying too, right? Is that no, like, yeah, because there's no chance, even like if your review is like living where you like change your score or something, it's like the, the moment is passed. Like that, that, that review is now the thing that said that this was a major part of the thing and that aspect that like docked it, you know, metaphorically or physically two points is now just not part of the thing anymore. It's just not, and like the stuff that's popular, I feel like gets fixed in that sort of way. So, I mean, I, I see, I hear like both sides. Like, obviously, if you're spending money on it, you want to know if the game runs like shit. But also, it's so also a non-issue because if the game is popular enough that someone cares about it that much, like they'll probably fix it in like a few months, and then it won't be an issue anymore. Yeah. So it's weird. No, I I I agree with what Katie is saying too. Like, I totally see that. Like, if a game is fucking broken, you should that deserves being said somewhere. I just don't know where that is and I don't know what the role of that is because I I just think at the end of the day, it benefits people more for like the overall crux of a review, what's going to like stay on the site. I think it should be more about the artistry of the game and like how well it's pulled off straight up uh, as opposed to like the quality of the coding or whatever like that. Uh, But at the same time, it is like a balance. what I'm getting at is like, how do you like, <laughs> it's like, how do you skewer like S-K-E-W-E-R, like cent- like the, like the a game that represents like centrism. It's like totally, it's like a totally passable thing. It's weird that that stuff is just like, that becomes, it, in, a, in a way it's like, that has become somewhat the bar, but it doesn't mean that those games are valued any less than something that is like actually good and interesting and different or something. So instead it feels like we're we're existing in this like seven to ten review area where like why can't we just like pan the hell out of this like over budgeted triple A game that is totally terrible? Yeah. But instead, like because the graphics look good and the story was passable and everything was passable and it was totally inoffensive, it's like it's like people you know, are refusing, 80 on Metacritic. It feels like people are refusing to acknowledge that the bar has been raised. And when the yeah. bar has been raised the floor is in a different place than it was five years ago, but like, but everyone's just keeping the criticism hasn't adjusted to the like inflation of how good games are now on on average. So I think that's what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think what's what a lot of people would also say, Kyle in response to you is that, well, 
video games have always existed on a 7.5 to 10 scale, <laughs> even from the very beginning, dude, like that's always how it's been. And, um, like sites that didn't follow that were kind of really looked down upon and hated by a lot of people seen as trying to sabotage the Metacritic scores, what have you. If you think about kill screen for one, a lot of that stuff would happen. And, um, I think it's just that it's still scary to try criticizing games from a, a standpoint that doesn't focus on like the gameplay or like whether the shooting is whatever, you know what I'm saying? Um, like I want to see someone just like tear apart Gris, right? It's like, why is that? <laughs> it's, it's just like, so like joyfully mediocre in so many ways, but because it has a good art style, it's like, you know, it's just, it's held up in a specific way. It's like stuff like that that comes out that doesn't feel like we get to have like a, an actual critical conversation around because it like, it checks all the boxes in the right way, but is somehow less than the sum of its parts. I mean, I'm sure uh, there's a Jed Pressgrove out there <laughs> who did hate the hell out of Gris, you know? Shouts out to Jed if you're listening. Uh, I know he has listened <laughs> to this podcast in the past. <laughs> um, we need, I guess curmudgeons are good, you know? don't like when people build off their whole identity off being a i get it i it get like it really irks me it's like yeah chill out like you know have a beer or something like lighten up you know like <laughs> i don't know it's it's just like there's so many people that they only have the opposite opinion of the critical consensus on something and it's like it's so fucking annoying it's like <laughs> really obnoxious to me i don't know mm-hmm. i think it is like that for a lot of people um the the whole reviewing thing is so tough because there is like a very specific tide that's going in one direction. And in order to try to break that, you have to go in the opposite direction, which is tough. And it is people will hate you for it. And that's just a, a part of it. That's what that's what kind of sucks. So like if you go beneath that seven threshold, you're pissing someone off. I mean, yeah, like I, I tr- like we have a five point scale and I try to like like use the whole scale per se so if i just think a game's okay i usually do two and a half or three and some people are like wow like she really hated that game and i'm like no you didn't read the review i don't hate it i just don't think it's like incredible or anything like i think i gave like life is strange two or three and like that's a game i think is like okay but it has like a lot of issues um but a lot of people are like holding it in this like super high regard but i was like yeah it was okay it was okay like it's Better than the first game, for sure, in my opinion. But, like, you know, they get a little on the nose with things. Yeah. Um. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I think it's important to use the whole scale. I think we're seeing more sites use the whole, like, GameSpot really has been doing a great job with their reviews lately of using more than just the 7 out of 10 scale, which is awesome. Like, I, it's really cool to see, like, a major site doing that. Um. I don't like the trend of people, like, casting off review scores, honestly. Like, yeah, review scores are dumb, but I feel like it makes you have to think you have to like hold a conviction to your score you know like you have to like think like okay like what is the score i'm gonna give it yeah and i like i like i i'm trying to think of this i think polygon and Eurogamer both do the badge thing or whatever which is basically like a whole score system on its own it's like you have now you have like a three-point system you have like no badge uh, like we recommend it and then we have like an essential like you have to play, like a 10 out of 10 badge it's like 
now you're on a three-point scale, and I think that's, like, even less helpful. Like, I think number scales, like, I think five-point is, like, really the ideal, in my opinion. Like, yeah, ten-point scale, sure, but, like, five points are better. Um, but I don't know. It's, like, just, or even a four-point scale, like, four stars, like what most movies do. Um, like, you know, you just have to think about it quickly. Yeah. What should it get? I think I just, like, stopped caring about video game reviews as a way to, like, judge something it's like more like because i'll read like a video game review and it's like so much of it is less about will i like this game and it's about what well, did this person like this game and if you don't like totally know someone's like opinions it's kind of hard to judge and i don't think that like having like a quote-unquote objective review is possible or even helpful so i think what's been good for me recently is like like i think about that um that piece that Nate Crowley wrote and rock paper shotgun. Um, I guess it was over Christmas or something when he did the piece on planet zoo and how like the bottom fell out of the economy and everyone was just like selling warthogs and stuff like that is like a, that is a concept in terms of like people telling stories about games and why, why something is compelling in a way that's not trying to be under the auspices or guise of a review, but just like, reporting on something happening in a game to me feels more that like helps me judge my opinion about something better where it's like, Oh, this can happen in this thing. This sounds really compelling. Whereas a review, like I feel like there's just no way that it's not held to some sort of criteria for understanding and and a criteria that can be extended to everything. But it's like, I don't think that what RimWorld gets judged on or like Factorio gets judged on as criteria is what should also be applied to like, whatever third person character action game is hot right now. It's like, I don't know if the walking dead and rim world need to play with the same criteria, but I feel like the system of reviews is what kind of encourages those sorts of differences to be sort of squashed. So I've started reading just more kind of like, I don't even know what you'd call them. I guess Katie, you guys probably call them like features or something, but like someone basically writing more of an op-ed about a game and less about them, like reviewing it feels to me kind of more, I mean, more modern in a way, but also something that is, it's, there's a more, more of a narrative there. It's more, it's less about someone trying to sell me something and just more of them talking about why they like it and like, what's cool about this thing. Yeah. I agree. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Let's wrap. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, Josh, did you have your thing you want to talk about? That, that was it. That was it. Josh posted in the chat that that he needs to go do something. Yeah. So we need to wrap up. Wow. Fucking called out. (laughs) <laughs> he was making motions and you just kept talking oh, I wasn't, I'm looking ceiling. at audacity sorry <laughs> it's okay man. but before we wrap we got some we got some listener questions oh my god Josh is gonna die it's okay it's fine there's just three. <laughs> the First question: broke. the wave crashed uh, from, this is from our discord remember we have a discord we have a patreon Josh will shout it out in a second uh, first question is there a guest no 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 guest this episode <laughs> <laughs> Glad we're getting to the bottom of that at the end of the episode. Uh, favorite card in a trading card game, ability in a MOBA, item in a roguelike. Just pick one of them. Josh, what's your favorite Hearthstone card? Oh, God. That's so hard, bro. You don't know that off the top of your head? No, not at all. Damn. Um, I don't have one at the moment. All right. Um, the that one card in Magic: The Gathering where you like throw it and like if it lands on something else, it like does something is pretty cool. Uh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? 
Um, There's a similar one in Magic, the Scheherazade, where it's like, once you play this card, start playing a separate game of Magic. God, fuck that shit. Which is just um, <laughs> totally insane. Meepo in, in Dota is pretty cool, where he's like a bunch oh, yeah. of different characters. Um, fucking, yeah. Item in a roguelike. The teleporter in Spelunky is pretty funny. Um, I'm trying to think of... Yeah, I don't even know. I can't even think of anything. All right. Uh, know, there's like a few weapons in Dead Souls I like. Like, I don't know. I can't think of anything off the top of my head, but... <laughs> do you guys replay games or prefer to always prioritize experiencing new ones? I prioritize new games, but I do replay some games if I really like them. Uh, but it's I rare. I used to replay It's rare games. these days. Yeah, like I when I was younger, I would replay games all the fucking time, mostly because I didn't have the money for new games. Yeah. So like, I like before I was in this industry, I definitely replayed games. Like I, I think I've played through like Uncharted two like a dozen times for some fucking reason, <laughs> because I just really liked that game and that was like all I had for a long time. Like just like the Uncharted games, uh, and like I remember like playing Uncharted three. It was like my first semester of college when that came out, and I finished it and I replayed it like immediately after. I started a new playthrough like immediately. Like I really liked Uncharted Three. I was like in the minority on that one apparently, um, and yeah. So I used to do that a lot, but now I definitely prioritize new games. But now I'm like replaying Final Fantasy Seven. It's nice. Like this first time I'm not like right into review season, so it's cool to just like go through, actually go and replay something for a change. It's nice. I'm definitely on that. Um don't replay games mostly I just cause I have so much stuff in my backlog anyways that I'd probably rather play than like replaying something else. I think there's like yeah, s- some games that like some games that you play a lot that feel like we're playing. Like when I play overwatch, I wouldn't class myself as like replaying overwatch. So, all right. <laughs> Josh took, just took off his headphones and he's left. Josh is leaving. He's left. He'll he's, be back in a second, but you know what I mean? I guess I mean, second. I like, it's an interesting thing, I think, because the just that point I made about I'm saying my own point's interesting, which is stupid, but like I don't know if you would characterize like playing Destiny as like replaying. Like, how do you ever replay Destiny or something? I mean, that's like a totally different case. Like, uh, so I keep like a spreadsheet, like a nerd of all the games I play, and I have like a section that's like I started it, I finished it. And then I have like continuous, which is kind of what I would slot like a Apex Legends or a Call of Duty. It's like something that I'm like, I'm going to be keeping going back to it. Yeah. Rather than like, you know, sticking with it or like not visiting it ever again. Like that's like kind of like a different league of its own, I guess. Um, speaking of which, I should make, make a new spreadsheet. I haven't even done that Ooh. yet. Oh my God. Um, anyway, yeah, I'm like an overly organized person that always makes spreadsheets so I can keep track of all the games I play and at the end of the year I'd be like, this is all I played. That's too much games. Um, <laughs> I guess, I mean, like it's, too many. it's just an interesting characterization because like the, it means that certain games are quote unquote replayable and others aren't. Like I wouldn't, I would never classify. I mean, it's like a multi, any multiplayer game. Like that's kind of like what yeah. that category to me means like, or MMO type games, you know? It's like, yeah, I wouldn't put Uncharted 3 in that category, but I have replayed that a bunch of times. But it's like a different thing. Like, I don't know. Like the call, the campaign for this Call of Duty, would I guess, would be in that, or yeah. not in that department. But like the multiplayer is definitely in that department. 
Um, yeah, I don't know. Mm. Uh, I'm trying to think of like. Oh, I replayed Shovel Knight recently. That was really good. Oh yeah, I want to. I so I played the first Shovel Knight a bazillion years ago, and I want to like dive into all these games that yeah, that's Shovel Knight has it. since done. Yeah. Because like King of Cards came out, and I heard Shovel, Shovel Knight Showdowns actually Dude, really good. It's like, so good. It is. Yeah, like my boss how, is like, like it's like my new party game. Like it's apparently yeah. like really good. And it's which like is cool. It reminds me of like what Smash Bros. kind of was in its infancy in a way that like Roof Rage or um, what was it Rivals of the Aether or like not. Like they're kind of in some ways they're like trying a little too hard. And Shovel Knight Showdown yeah. is like, well, a it's crazy to recognize that Shovel Knight now has like a diverse enough cast of characters that they could just have a full on like Smash Bros style game. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely started replaying uh, the first Shovel Knight game, Shovel of Hope, because I wanted to finally play like Specter of Torment and yeah, King I've heard Specter is like and- the best one of those. Yeah. Yeah, you guys ran some big piece on US Gamer, right? About Oh yeah, we had like uh if you're a big fan of Shovel Knight, we ran some guest posts from the the team. I can't remember their their studio's name. Oh man, Yacht what Club. is it? Yacht Club Games. Anyway, so it, the the guy the people at Yacht Club Games, they wrote like a five-part series about the development from like Kickstarter to making King of Cards and Showdown and everything. And it's, it's really interesting. It's just basically like an interesting look like super deep dive like every piece is like multiple thousands of words um yeah it's crazy into shovel knight yeah so if you're into shovel knight i recommend reading that on usgamer.net i don't know the precise url for part one but you know just if you search shovel knight i'm sure it will pop up um but yeah that was cool they asked if they could do a series and we're like yeah we love shovel knight why not hey, we Come do, do it yeah. um we're big Shovel Knight two fans more questions. over at USG. Let's do- Except for me, because I've only played the first one. Uh, quick, quick fire. Off the top of your head, what was your favorite game from the thousands? Uh, just everything PlayStation 2, bro. MGS 2. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Kingdom Hearts 1. Fucking Shadow, Shadow of the Colossus. Of the Colossus. Shinobi. Um, fucking... Yeah, PS2 is like the my favorite console. Like all my favorite... like. I don't know. It was just at Radio 2000? Metroid, was that Prime. Metroid Prime. Oh my um, god. Was that 90s? It was yeah. a better Fucking. time back then. All the best games. All the, like, PS2 was Animal Crossing. I mean, Metroid's obviously. Oh, Animal... No, Animal Crossing was, like, 99, the first one. No, 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 no. PS2 is still sure? the best console, no. bro. I feel like Animal Crossing was, like, 2002. Yeah, PS2 is the best console. Game Dark Cube Cloud 2. <laughs> Think about the influence of PS2. <laughs> i'm just kidding That's a it influenced guy. such things like ps3 <laughs> you know exactly ps4 reference callback uh, callback guys all right last question last question last question what game if any changed your mind on a genre that you were previously cool on oh man i'm gonna start out right now i'm just gonna answer this because i've always hated deck builders but playing magic the gathering arena man is making me start to reconsider a little bit um, did you play Slay, Slay the Spire? I still like still haven't played Slay the Spire yet. God, fucking play Slay the Spire. <laughs> Slay the Spire. Slay my fucking. Never mind. If I can get Slay <laughs> the Spire free on some platform via some budget or subscription deal, it's then I might on play it. fucking Xbox. It's on PC Game Pass, dude. It's on Game Pass. Yes, All right, I'll try it out. 
it takes like three I just seconds think that to download. One thing I think that's happened in Magic the Gathering Arena is that I finally found a way to play that I like, which is that you only build decks with the latest set. I don't know mm. if that's how everyone's always done it, but basically like I only build stuff with like Eldraine and now it's Theros. So it like it, it lowers the scope of no, not even it's not even standard because standard is like five or six sets. It's like literally just building a deck with like a smaller possibility space feels kind of cool. So I don't know. I don't know. Is that how Hearthstone works? Like, can you only build with a single set or can you build with all cards from ever? No, it's uh standard is like the last two years worth of cards. And then that's the, what most people play. And then there's wild, which is every card that has ever been published, printed. Okay. Gotcha. Whatever. Yeah, I think magic standard is, it probably equates to like 1.5 or two years or something. Yeah. But yeah, just building in the set. But feels they also nice. have like sealed drafts, like fuck. There's like so many different commander. Um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Whatever. Oh, that dude, Magic is adding one. Dude, Magic is adding eight player draft. So you can get with your buddies in Magic the Gathering Arena and just do like a closed group of eight people doing a draft together. Which is oh, that's dope. dope. Let's do yeah. it, Kyle. Let's do it. All right. What about you guys? Any games that changed your mind on a genre that you previously didn't like? So I, I've i never been big on procedurally generated anything. Like I always like have been a person that just prefers like just, you know, actual level design. Uh, but Dead Souls is like the first of those, you know, like roguelike, I guess. Like I never got into Splunky. I respect Splunky a great deal, but I just never clicked with it. But, like, Dead Souls like, the first of those I feel like that I, like, really, really got into. Like, I just, you know, really. Now, now I like roguelikes. I feel like I feel like now that was kind of, like, the gate that, like, yeah, I'll play any roguelike now. Like, I've always been into, like, action platformers in, like, the 2D sense, but in Metroidvania type things. But, like, that was really the, I guess, what is that? Straw broke the camel's back? Is yeah. that what it is? I guess that's, that, that's what did it for, like, roguelikes for me is Dead Souls. Oh God. Oh God. Oh God. I can't think of one, man. I think there's like one there's, if the genre was there, it would be like walking simulators. <clears throat> and then when it comes to like games that changed my mind on walking Sims, I would have to say like devotion, maybe fucking, um, Edith Finch is like, I feel like took that in a new direction. That was not where it was. That was just... one that I was like, maybe I don't like walking simulators. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. really i feel like edith finch is like the one that was like i kind of felt like they were all like you know if they had a good story sure but i also like i like gone home you know i don't know yeah um oh wow we have a special guest on this podcast napoleon kyle's napoleon cat sniffing the, the mic well, i guess <laughs> we do have a guest meow napoleon meow he refuses. Nothing? Wow. He's just not going to do it. Because he's so Maui. <laughs> yeah, he is. He was very talkative. Like, what was that, like, three years ago? Four years ago? When I stayed at your place? Yeah, I remember. That was a long time ago. Three. Anyway. Okay, folks. Three years ago. Thanks for listening to Bad End. We're going to wrap it up. Happy New Year, everyone. Happy New Here's Year. Here's to playing more games Happy New year. this year. and Happy New Decade. New good stuff coming out. Um, Let's get it. Let's get it. Um, you can find us on Patreon. We are bad or patreon.com slash bad end. You can email us at uh freaking badendpod at gmail.com. 
We're on Twitter at Bad End Podcast. Um, if you want access to our Discord, come do that. Oh, also, we are going to reboot the game club thing because reboot the, it. We're going to reboot it. Yeah, the way that that's been working, uh, it has been a little while since we've actually uh, come out with the game club episode. But what we're going to start doing from now is we're going to actually stream uh, on YouTube, and then that recording will be live. All of the people who are members of the game club can participate in the chat and ask us questions and we'll like talk about those things. So it's like a little bit of like a half hour type club meeting uh, once a month and we'll kind of do that live and then you can access that stuff on uh, our YouTube afterwards. So we'll keep you guys posted on when the actual episode of that is going to happen. Probably within the next couple of weeks, we'll let you know on the Discord, we'll let you know on the Twitter um, to all our subscribers, to all our Patreon folks, we'll, we'll ping you all on that. But keep an eye out for that. Uh, we're going to talk about pilgrims. So keep an eye out for that. Oh, I thought we were changing. Uh, we'll discuss that. In a, yeah, we could discuss that in the meantime. <laughs> we'll talk about something. Yeah, We'll talk about we'll, it. We'll, we'll, we'll let you know what the <laughs> game is. Maybe it's a little um, newer. Yeah. Um, unless I'm forgetting anything that wraps. Oh, Superculture. We're oh, part of Superculture super Network, guys. Um, go follow us on Twitter at Superculture Net and uh, check out Bullet Points Podcast and Savoir Fair Disco Elysium Podcast while you're at it. Our sister shows, um, sister, brother, whatever shows you want to call it. And uh, we will see you folks in a few weeks later. See you guys. Thank you.